We are welcoming here Tim Hill of Atlantic Specialty Coffee. Uh, thanks. Yeah, thanks for being here, Tim. Let's just get started. Can you tell us a little bit about how you got to where you are in coffee? Uh, how long have you been in the industry? What's your story? Um, yeah, it's a good one. Um, let's see. I, I worked some really bad jobs in Chicago. Um, mm. My uh, my favorite was I was uh, working at a bakery that kind of did coffee at like Jewel Osco on Ashland. Yeah, um, nice. <laughs> they're still open, and, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that yeah. was a that was a very depressing life experience. Um, and I had come? to get out of that, uh, but you know, I kind of liked the like. I definitely liked the. You know, people coming in for goods and like baked stuff, even though it's just basically like microwaving stuff in a in an oven back then, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, I, I kind of like that food service element to to the job, and so I actually knew someone that worked at um, worked at Starbucks, uh, and you know, just kind of you know started. I guess started there. I think some of us. I don't know. I don't know how many of us started in that in that capacity, but uh, I think I both of us did. Yeah, yeah. Or I guess all three of us. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Starbucks. Yeah. Thank and, you, Starbucks. Um, you know, I, I think I just had a really weird experience. Like my my boss at that Starbucks was like really into coffee. Uh, he competed at some like barista competition circa like 2000, 2001. Oh wow! But, you know, when he was like manager at Starbucks, he would have me taste coffees and be like, "Oh, this is a Sumatran coffee. This is a Kenyan coffee." Did you have the passport? I definitely had the passport. I had a passport. Um, Did you have one? I Colin? had a passport. Okay, um, man. Uh, I was there during the like Black Apron start, which yeah. was like Holy you know shit. some yeah. fancy ish okay. coffees All right. for, you know, back in the day. So yeah, you know, just kind of you know, I feel like I had a unique experience in that, and you know, kind of like you know, liked like my boss a lot, liked what he was doing, like coffee he was getting more and more interested all the time. And then I moved to North Carolina, uh, continued working at Starbucks. They let me just transfer and just move to another store. Which, you know. um, yeah, and then. Um, I, you know, I met someone at like an art show that worked at counterculture and, you know, he's working production and he's like, oh, it's a cool, cool company. You like coffee. You should come on by. Um, I literally went there just like for a tasting like Friday, you know, it's like, oh, this is a cool company. It's like weird, you know, kind of weird deal. Um, Mm. And, you know, I guess I didn't know, but like they were looking for someone in production. So it was like a pseudo interview. (laughs) (laughs) So I went for a coffee tasting and they just lured me in, you know, it's just like, oh, you came to this tasting, like, let's give you a job. Um, And yeah, so, you know, I started in production there, you know, worked production for a number of years, did roasting, did QC, you know, did purchasing, you know, managed the department, you know, became a director of coffee and kind of worked, uh, at the you know i guess higher level of the board like not I don't know, not i guess director level at counterculture and then you know i kind of just always wanted to you know just keep working backwards in coffee you know keep figuring out each part of that you know each part of the supply chain what it what it means to to be these things i felt like there was a big you know just I don't know. I didn't know a lot about importing coffee or what that what that meant and like how you interact and how it's different than being a buyer for um, for a roastery. So, you know, I was really really intrigued by the opportunity and yeah, started started importing like two and a half three years ago, um, and yeah, been been doing it. You know, learning learning a ton, making a, an insane amount of mistakes and like learning how <laughs> yeah, this don't we all. business yeah. <laughs> uh, works. And yeah, no, that's uh, that's where I am today. Very cool. Uh, and how, sorry, how long were you with Counterculture? Man, I was there fourteen years. Fourteen wow. years. 
Yeah. Yeah. So I started, you know, like, I guess, quote, you know, I started in coffee like 2000, 2001. Um, mm-hmm. And then, you know, I've been, have been in coffee ever since. I guess I'm coming up on 20 years. That's, man, I think we're the same age, uh, literally. <laughs> like, we actually, 2000, 2001 started Starbucks and I just sort of kept going there. Although I will say that, um, yeah, I definitely didn't have a, as cool of a path as you, if you will. But um, still, that's that's awesome. That's in Gabe, Gabe's twenty-two years, so I think we're mm-hmm. we're we're all dinosaurs, except you, Colin. You're you're a, a baby less. dino. I <laughs> mean, I, I might be a baby, but I'm this you're is a baby my, dino. T- this yeah. is my tenth year, so wow, I still okay. uh, spent a good a good amount of time. It's funny. I actually had a manager at my first job at Starbucks that was also like. Like it felt like a unique experience. He was weirdly into specialty coffee for a Starbucks manager. Um, shout out to Michael, great guy. Uh, and so that yeah, that was like <laughs> that really helped to to like foster my growth as a coffee pro too. So um, yeah, and so your work at Atlantic now, uh, we we are a client of yours. Mm-hmm. Um, really appreciate all the all the resources all the help that you give us um yeah you you've been a, a great partner to us so far so thank you for that that's great um, hopefully i continue yeah uh, we so we've we, we've made this magazine source code and it's uh an attempt to sort of just uh offer consumers an in-depth look into the supply chain how we're participating in it and how we're trying to improve the supply chain make it more sustainable uh so your work at counterculture your work at atlantic has has definitely uh paralleled this mission a lot and so i you you, you have a variety of perspectives uh one one question that i'd like to to start off with um as a green buyer we're we're valuing quality of coffee how is uh quality tied to a living wage or how should it be? Yeah, I mean, you know, it depends on how you interpret like the idea of a of a living wage. I mean, you know, I think quality like in no way is probably for any job ever should be like that baseline living wage. I mean, you know, like you should be able to work and do a good job and be able to to live. I think, you know, when you're talking especially coffee and, you know, the coffees that you guys are dealing in or, you know, I'm dealing in you know, those are, you know, producers putting in, you know, exceptional effort into what they do. And, you know, you, you got to look at that in terms of, you know, something that is a, a step up, step beyond that. I mean, and so, you know, I think a lot of the work, you know, that I've seen by different producers um, in terms of trying to figure out, you know, what the cost of production is, you know, what is uh, a true living wage for that area? Because, you know, it varies, you know, everywhere, you know, everywhere the coffee is produced, um, you know, local currencies, you know, change all the time, you know, how they're valued against the dollar, what's going on in the markets, you know, all these things fluctuate so quickly um it's it is really hard to quantify and like get that baseline but you know i think as a especially coffee industry you know we need to not be talking about like what a what a living wage is it's like no that that should be the baseline of what coffee commercial coffee comes at and then you know and then we're talking about you know what is the true value of um especially coffee and you know i guess to put like a somewhat finer point on that and 
you know, a criticism I'll give of, you know, myself over the last, you know, 20 years or, you know, especially coffee industry is I think a lot of times we look at, oh, we're paying, you know, $3 or $4 a pound for a coffee. And, you know, it's like this beautiful, you know, Kenyan coffee that's, you know, uh, amazing, tastes awesome. You know, a lot of work went into you, was produced on, you know, a small two hectare farm. And, you know, we're, you know, being like, oh, you know, we're paying, you know, these great prices for it. You know, that's like double or triple the the commodity market. Um, and, you know, I, I always just think of, about that in terms of like other goods and other, you know, not necessarily even commodities, but just other goods and services in general. It's like, well, yeah, like, you know, if I were to buy a car and, you know, I bought a baseline model and then I was like, oh, no, but like, you know, I don't want the you know, the Porsche Boxster, I want the, you know, Porsche 911. It's like, yeah, that thing costs more, like (laughs) thousands and thousands of dollars more of materials, effort, labor, like, you know, parts went into that, um, went into that product. Um, It's like, yeah, the price you're paying, you know, it's not, you know, it it is very tied to the the cost that it makes that, you know, the cost of production for producing a Kenyan coffee, you know, can be double what, you know, um, what it is in Central America and other places. So, you know, I think that that understanding of living wages and, you know, what we are really paying for in the specialty industry, like, you know, in no, in no ways, I think, I think in some cases it, it appears like charitable and appears, you know, that we're, you know, doing these great things where it's like, no, you're literally just paying for the cost of what it takes to make that product. Right. Um, mm-hmm. You're producing, you know, you're, you're, it is very good. And I think uh, great that we can support people that want to pursue higher end products. Um, but, you know, the, the reality is, is that they're, their costs, you know, could be equal or more. They could be making less margin per, you know, per pound or per whatever that you're looking at than mm-hmm. a commercial producer. And yeah, I think we just need to be a lot more mindful of that. You know, when we, you know, say like, oh, you know, I'm paying four dollars a pound for a coffee, and the commodity market was at a dollar twenty or whatever it was at that time. Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah, well you bought a product that was literally cost twice as much to produce and was twice as good. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think, you know, that's my, <laughs> that's my spiel, my, you know, kind of ideas of living wage and, you know, just things in general. It's just, you know, we need to be always more conscious of, of what we're actually paying for, what that represents and, you know, go beyond baselines. Mm-hmm. With, uh, with quality, are are you using the Q or like what what what's uh, do you think there there is a sub- subjective or an objective quality to specialty coffee? Yeah, I you know I'll I'll take the stand that I generally speaking uh, vote for more of the objective side of specialty coffee, um, and you know I. I do wish as an industry, we could get like closer and closer aligned to the things that we care about and the things that make good coffee. Um, There's always going to be subjective differences. Everyone's going to have different preferences and what that looks like. But, you know, I think finding as much common ground between all of us as we can um, and continuing down those paths is like one will help everyone um, uh, help producers be able to like know what, buyers are looking for. Um, I think also when you're looking at quality, you know, things that I think are very objective 
are like longevity of a coffee. So, you know, we all know that coffees have a finite lifespan, or at least most of us, you know, that coffees have a certain lifespan that they taste best in. Um, you can preserve that through different different means, but the reality is that, you know, after, you know, coffee sits on our, you know, warehouse shelves for a year or in a somewhere for a year, you know, the next year it's generally speaking not as good um and so you know i think looking at things like oh what is the proper lifespan for a coffee like what is you know what is good in terms of that i think that's a very objective measure of, of a product mm -hmm. um you know i think when it comes to flavor and other other things it becomes harder um but you know i think there are things that we can all agree on are like defects and like problems in a cup mm -hmm. profile you know whether you love or hate anaerobic coffees or love or hate wash coffees like you know that stuff it gets more challenging um but you know i think of longevity i think of cup consistency i think of you know like density and you know uh evenness of prep um you know things like that i think we can continue to become closer and closer aligned on what it takes to make a good product um so that you know when you push the objective measures of a of a coffee i think in general it helps maybe more than i think people would give it credit for i think when you can push on those ob like really objective measures where it comes to like color of the coffee longevity cup consistency mm -hmm. the, you know those measures i think you know those help year in and year in business and help you know roasters uh you know be able to carry products for longer periods of time help you know producers sell to those roasters for longer longer periods of time um and so you know i think as we calibrate closer and closer on that those are things that will help the supply chain and every everyone in it Right. So these are the really practical levels of, uh, we're, we're not talking about the difference between an 82 point coffee and an 88 point coffee as much as just, uh, making sure that we have defined standards for how producers get us a product that can maintain whatever it is for long enough for us to like be able to give a customer a consistent product. That's sort of what you're, the way you're looking at it. Yeah. I mean, you know, the thing, the thing that I've been like hyper-focused on probably the last three or four years ha has been longevity, has been, you know, like cup stability uh, in terms of flavor profile, you know, what's delivered to roasters. Because um, I can tell you that like the number one reason why a roaster would reject a coffee or probably not look at working with a producer the next year is if mm -hmm. you're getting a bad delivery of that coffee if it just from what you tasted to what arrived to you just isn't the same and so if you can you know if you can make that better and better you know you, you're not only helping that coffee and helping the roaster be able to serve a better product for a longer period of time but you're actually really helping the producer continue to sell that product to that roaster and maintain you know high prices um you know you're you know mitigating risk in the supply chain in terms of importers and where their costs lie the exporters in terms of their risk management um you know those are the you know, it's maybe like the non-fun side to a certain extent, but I, man, I, I love that stuff. I, you know, I was going back to school for, you know, basically statistical analysis of food products and like how you apply these metrics to, you know, other industries. But I really want to take a lot of those ideas and concepts to mm -hmm. coffee. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Um, yeah. It might not be sexy, but it's super important. I mean, important, that's, yeah. that's what we, yeah, be, because, uh, yeah, that, that is so true that, 
I would say for us, the quickest way that we get a little, uh, you know, frustrated with a coffee is if we, you know, if it starts fading a month before we, mm-hmm. or a month after we receive it, or if there's, uh, you know, inconsistencies in the, the milling, uh, that kind of stuff, it, it really does make it hard for us because it, yeah, we, th- those, those minimum standards that we have, we don't like to serve coffee that tastes, we, we, you know, we call it for, for those of you that aren't familiar, there's a flavor, we call it like baggy or faded. Um, and it, it happens you know, for us. We, we like, if we can get six to eight months of no, none of that flavor present, then we're really happy. And, and you know, usually within a year, uh, we, we try to use, you know, every bit of the lot that we purchase. Um, and, and yeah, that, that flavor is something that it's, I, I'd be curious to know if you've uh, made any big discoveries on, on that front, uh, just to, in like in, any kind of like quality steps in the supply chain that really increase the shelf stability in coffee. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, the, like the sad thing with shelf stability is, you know, it's this balancing act because the more stable you make a product, sometimes the less dynamic you make it. So like, you know, drying is a really good one. So in my, in my experience, and you know, it's probably not every coffee, not every situation, but generally speaking, I think this is over years of tasting similar coffees, same tables and like, you know, working with producers on these things um, is if you, you know, taste a coffee at like 11 and a half nearing 12% moisture when it's really fresh versus a coffee that the, basically the exact same coffee dried a little bit further, maybe like 10, 10.5% is that 12% coffee a lot of times crushes that 10% mm-hmm. coffee initially. Mm-hmm. Um, it just tastes more juicy. It tastes more lively. You know, I think whatever's happening in the roaster, you know, whatever's opening up in that coffee early on tends to be a lot more expressive uh, in the slightly higher moistures early. And then, you know, over time though, you know, it's a, it's this like X axis, you know, uh, you know, quantitative measure that you're trying to figure out of at what point does that change? You know, what point, like how long does that 12% moisture coffee last? And then that, you know, 10% moisture coffee, the stability of it take over in terms of quality. And so, you know, there's a lot of different metrics that I, I do with that. Like, you know, if I'm shipping an Ethiopian coffee in February and it's 11, 11 and a half percent, it's kind of fresh, it's a little higher moisture than I really want. Um, a lot of times I'll take the risk and I'll ship it um, because I know that it's going to hit the States. It's going to taste really juicy and lively and awesome. I know that roasters will be super happy with it. And you know what I tell them is like, use this coffee for like two, three months and then, you know, make sure, make sure you're out of it. Um, and then you start, you know, working towards coffees that are going to be a little bit more shelf stable when you ship them March, April, May. Um, so, you know, those are, those are like things that you can find you know, find tool as you, as you keep working year after year on stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, my, my ultimate goal is that when I buy a coffee and I'm working with a roaster uh, on that product, you know, I'd be able to like give them a really good idea of like, this is when I would anticipate based on density, based on prep, based on harvest time and shipping that you should be able to carry this coffee and have it be 80, 90% of its, of the shelf, you know, you know, the quality held up. Um, so if I can give, you know, it's like a, like any industry, they're giving dates on how long they think this food product will last uh, before it goes bad. Like 
in coffee, we should really have that. Like there should oh, yeah. be like a pretty, <laughs> a pretty like good, like, Hey, if you're buying this 13% moisture coffee, that's a 95 cup score, uh, you know, like it will taste great for some time, but yeah. probably not a long time. Yeah. Um, yeah. Don't, don't plan on a eight months of roasting that of coffee. 95 point. Yeah. yeah. Actually, just, but what Tim, what you're saying is reminding me of, uh, of what we're finding with Getabore as of lately is that, um, as it arrived, it's, it's super fresh and it's clean and it's everything we want out of that coffee. But, um, we've had it how many months, Colin, maybe four months, three, I don't think it's but maybe like two months. Two months, maybe. Yeah, it is just sort of like now, like it feels like in the past two weeks, like everything that's coming out into the cafe has been a lot more floral and it's just been a lot more expressive. So it's we're finding, you know, that's usually my experience with uh, Ethiopian coffees as they arrive, they end up, you know, they're they're solid, beautiful coffees. But over time, they tend to just open up. Um, obviously, that's not always, you know, but it's it's really a pleasant experience when we're having the coffee almost like morph into something Improve. better <laughs> improves yeah so i don't know yeah that's uh but that, i'm how we as roasters could communicate um exactly what you're talking about it's like especially with wholesale accounts you know like when they're they're generally the ones buying these coffees you know like when, when it comes to the other sort of like mid eighties coffees would be more a cafe, maybe hotel, restaurant, grocery, but you know, accounts that really appreciate, I guess, like higher cupping coffees. So, you know, they, they want to know this information, they geek out over it. So it'd be really interesting to see how your um, sort of your research and your data comes together to help, you know, your customers have a better understanding and also utilize that information to, to inform others. It's really cool. Yeah, I think the, you know, so you take the information of, you know, the basic, the basics of what we're doing now, which is mm -hmm. harvesting, you know, processing and drying, you know, mm -hmm. drying is usually the big one for shelf stability, because it's, you know, kind of determining basically how, you know, the, the water and like how fast it can degrade, you know, the, the coffee, you know, water's solvent it destroys everything over time mm -hmm. <laughs> and so you know the, that's like the the thing that you're always balancing and so like you know to me that's the baseline of where we start like you know lowest hanging fruit easiest things to measure and like control early on that have the biggest outputs um but i will say like the things i'm most excited about in terms of like shelf stability and coffee long term is you got to keep in mind that other other foods and other products that we consume on a daily basis go through like way more work in terms of preserving that product to us than coffee and so you know there are very basic things that you know i really believe can be done to coffee um that may mitigate degradation you know, 30, 40, 50, 60, hundred percent that we're not doing now. So like one of them is what, here, here's a question for you guys. Like what, what is your experience with like EA decaf coffees in terms of their shelf life? Um, Compared to like maybe so, water process. Yeah. So here's a little example. We, uh, when the, uh, all the shutdowns along with the pandemic started last year, we were going through a lot of decaf through a, Mm -hmm. primarily a couple of wholesale accounts that would and we uh we really love the ead calves so we I, I try to just buy those um but uh yeah so we had well, I, we were going through about 10 bags of decaf a week 
And then we started going through a quarter of one bag per week. So our, our decaf usage just disappeared. Yeah. And we were trying to find somebody to, to buy it. And uh, eventually it picked up a bit, but where I would normally have had that coffee for like say six, eight months, that lot, uh, we had it for about a year and a half and it didn't, it tastes pretty good. It was good. Yeah. I never tasted like the faded baggy flavor in it. Right. It so, definitely lost intensity a bit, but yeah, it yeah. didn't, didn't fade. Yeah. So, so your experience has been my experience. And, and the thing that's always like pickled my brain with that is like, this is a coffee that, you know, goes through pretty intensive processing. Like its internal structure is like basically damaged, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Um, and then, and then it holds up for like a year. Like, you know, most coffees can't hold up a year that well. Right. And so what, you know, why does this product hold up this well? And, you know, if you look at that coffee, there's a couple, a couple things that I notice about it is one, the, the coating on is definitely different. Like you just like look at it and you're like, okay, this coffee, like there's something with, and you can notice that with certain decafs and the reality is, so that coffee is waxed. So if you, if you don't know that there's a, like a, it's, I believe it's carnauba wax on the, on the, on the, on the bean. Um, hmm. And you know, when, when you think of other food products, whether it's like a cucumber or a blueberry, like all of these things have a natural wax to them, just like coffee. Um, mm-hmm. They get damaged in the handling and processing and washing for con- you know for consumers to use. But most of them are reapplied. Like they get a- another protective mm-hmm. coating to make it more shelf stable. And you know, a lot of times, if you look at the food research, I mean, those things can extend the shelf like double, you know, triple what it what it would be without that coating. And so that's like those are things I'm looking at for coffee. Is are there ways like Clearly, the wax coating that you have on a natural bean um, is going to get degraded in the processing, the washing, handling, milling. You know, you got things scraping the bean all the time. Mm-hmm. You know, then you're putting it in a you know container at 100 degrees. It floats across the ocean. Like you know, the outside membrane that is protecting that coffee, in my opinion, is going to be quite damaged through that process. So there's going to be some damage to it. And so you know, the EA decaf is always given me this idea of like can you like essentially can you wax coffee just like you do with the decaf or a cucumber or a blueberry or a gummy bear mm-hmm. um and what would the shelf life be could you actually produce coffees that were at 13 percent moisture that taste amazing and seal it and have a shelf life that you're looking at 8 12 12 months so like that's where i feel like the you know the conversation kind of like goes off the rails and you can really go <laughs> i mean we're right off the rails with you brother I mean, yeah. that's, that's what that we want to we're on your train let's use this you're, opportunity uh, to say choo-choo. if there's some opportunities yeah. to uh yeah. we'll we're interested to support the project yeah it's exciting any, yeah test out yeah. in the field yeah so e-coms e- e- like doing some small scale small scale testing right now and you know so far like the results and tasting have been like oh the first you know two two months i think we're in month three right now is like little to no little to no change which is you know like the the dream scenario is where you have like a product that pretty much cups like it should it you know, no difference between wax and unwaxed um and then yeah the question is like as we get into month four five six seven eight do we start really seeing some differences or is this just not like a, a non-issue um mm-hmm. But, you know, there's, there's got to be other, you know, there's other ways that we can think of, you know, food preservation um, that other than just wax. There's, you know, probably 50 different ways that foods are preserved. 
And, you know, can you apply some of those ideas to, to coffee so that you have a much more shelf-stable product, roasters are much happier, producers, you know, bear less risk, exporters bear less risk, importers bear less risk, and everyone gets better coffee. Like that's, those are kind of the, those are the things that for me are like the really exciting part of coffee and like this new wave of, you know, I think the younger generation that's coming into coffee now that is very focused on school, like school and like, you know, food science and like mm-hmm. these these things that could push the industry really really far um you know i can't wait to see some young uh food science uh, majors come into coffee and like really show us a thing or two in terms of what we could be doing and like how far it could push the product yeah that's really exciting um i want to pivot a little bit back towards the uh like coffee pricing and transparency side of the conversation uh with so a, a lot of roasters, including us, um, are publishing our, our FOB price. And for those of you that aren't familiar, the FOB price is the price of the coffee paid at the point that it leaves the country. Um, that it, it, it doesn't necessarily correlate to what the farmer is getting paid. Um, but we have seen it is sort of uh, become it's, it's a very common figure that uh, transparency focused roasters are sharing. So what value do you see in publishing those prices? Uh, and in what ways could that be either uh, beneficial or like a negative impact to the industry? You know, I think for the most part, I think for the most part it's positive. I think, you know, the, there is, We'll, we'll come back to that. We'll come back to maybe the, the the negative side to it in a second. But the the positive side to it is, you know, if if you're not tracking anything, then you don't you don't really know where you're at. You know, you're not. There's no there's nowhere to go from nothing. Um, so you know, I think looking at FOB it at least gives you a baseline of you know what that coffee is looking like as it leaves the country of origin, and you know what your costs are as it comes in, and you know it gives you an idea of you know supply chains that have higher costs you know why are why could those why would those costs be higher are they providing better service are they delivering better product do they have larger overheads um you know what what does that mean for your coffee and your customers that are paying those extra prices or not paying those extra prices um so i think you know it is a good baseline to to start to understand where your money is going and what that money is serving um you know i think you know the where it can go is you know i do think it is an opportunity that whenever you ask for fob is like oh you know annoy your importer i encourage you to do this i mm-hmm. <laughs> i will i will regret this i'm sure but you know <laughs> annoy your importer and be like hey can we dive further can we you know can we ask what the the farm gate price is and then you know to be honest like there is no clear consensus on what that actually means is it the like the person picking it is it the the washing station and what their costs are um you know is the coffee being traded from one supplier to another to you know facilitate the export you know there's probably three or four different versions of what a farm gate price is but yeah you know take the opportunity to keep diving in further and further in that supply chain to understand understand that costs um you know and then once you understand the cost you know then it's going to drive you to understand currency which is I don't understand it. I will probably never mm-hmm. understand the fluctuation of currency around the world um, mm-hmm. and how, you know, different factors, you know, go, go into that. But, you know, it is, it, it does help you get 
picture. And, you know, FOB is the, the gateway drug to that. And, you know, keep, keep, keep diving, keep going. Um, you know, I, every, every year, you know, I feel like everyone thinks Ethiopia is this like black box of pricing and like what, you know, people it's like, Oh, I have no idea. It's like, it's actually not that hard. Like the, right. the prices are pretty, that like the farmers that pick from their land, the cherry, like is generally the price that you're talking about when you're talking about farm gain in Ethiopia. Like that stuff is pretty clear because every washing station posts the price that they're paying. And most washing stations within a pretty tight boundary, like pay relatively similar pricing. Um, Cause if they're not, you know, everyone's going to bring their cherries to the, you know, the washing station down the road, if you know, it's, they're paying better. Um, so, you know, to me, it's, you know, it's kind of, I'm always behind, you know, I'm always like, you know, it takes, takes work to do it, but, um, but yeah, I'm always, I'm always asking, I'm always, you know, what was the end cherry price this year? What is your second payment structure looking like? And it gets complicated. Like when someone asked me like, Oh, what's the farm gate price of, you know, get to get to bore it. It's like, well, right now it's this in a couple of months, they're yeah. going to make their second payment in September and it may change to this. So mm-hmm. it's definitely muddy. Like there, it's, it's, it's as clear as mud, generally speaking, but, um, and then you got to factor in like, oh, what was the burr to, you know, dollar conversion at the time that this was bought? Is it different than it is right now? What am I telling the roaster? Is it what, when it was bought or is it what it, the conversion is today? Um, so it's complicated, like getting that final number will probably never be a hundred percent accurate. Um, but doesn't mean doesn't mean that we should stop trying to to figure out you know to understand those, those numbers better and to um, get more and more transparency um, and again you know fob is where you start with that um, so the negative you know the negative side to to fob is yeah if you don't if you don't take that step if you like if that if fob becomes the like the final factor for everything because there are so many things that can be you know put into that it's like oh my fob is five dollars but my packaging is a dollar it's like okay well your fob is like four dollars and you know your packaging costs are a dollar um so you know there there are so many things that can be packed into an fob that it can be really inflated or deflated based on you know where it's where it's coming from um and there's all sorts of different you know, different things that we should be looking at closer. Um, so, you know, if you, if you do stop, it can be dangerous and that it's not a true reflection. Um, and, you know, and everyone just leaves it there. But, you know, I think the, the benefits outweigh the, you know, benefits out, outweigh the bad of it. And I think, you know, if more and more people are asking, you know, what importers are paying FOB for a coffee, you know, understanding the costs that go into that um, and, you know, trying to work backwards to producers as much as we can so that everyone is, you know, more transparent in what they do and, you know, um, helping understand the costing involved in that, you know, it goes back to, you know, the living wage of coffee and like, you know, what are someone's actual costs of producing this? Like that's the only way to figure that out is FOB backwards. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I think, you know, that, that, that's a hope is you can, you can use it as a gateway and, you know, figure out uh, things from there. And, you know, to add to your point, I mean, it's so like in Ethiopia, you know, the, the, the uh, smallholders are delivering or, or the union members are delivering coffee to the mill and it's, it's, it's in cherry versus in Central America, it would be that they're delivering parchment. So if 
you know, if whoever's, if the consumer's asking these questions, but we're not able to ex really like further uh, explain the reason, you know, the, the, the sort of the, the, the gap in pricing, you know, because if you're looking at just paying for cherries, there's clearly going to be a different price than the price of parchment. So, yeah. um, and, and that, that's also one of the sort of sticky situation. It's not sticky. It's just, it gets a, it's not even tricky. It's just finding the best way to not confuse people, you know, because the prices that, you know, are different. Smallholders are uh, doing some, a lot of them are doing the process, processing right on the farm. And that doesn't happen in Ethiopia. They're delivering to a central station and the, the washing station. And, uh, you know, that's, yeah, like one, one, one thing I want to note, um, and I really appreciate this about you, is that when we did ask you about it, you uh, actually responded to our email. Because a lot of times with other people, they're just like, uh, I'll get back to you and they don't get back to us or, you know, and then you completely extrapolated all the costs, you know, like from Burr uh, to dollars. And then you kind of helped us have a better understanding of that. So we really, I think that was for me, the point where I'm like, yeah, I really enjoy working with Tim with these coffees because that's uh, it's you, you didn't hesitate. So mm -hmm. it's uh, and it helps us understand exactly how it works in Ethiopia with Central America, South America, we have a different, uh, approach, of course, but um, all, still, our export partners and every and our supply chain partners um, are all people that are willing to donate the information, which is really important to us. Because uh, without that information, then we can't make better decisions. Do you see any? Um, you know, we talked. That was that was a really interesting point about the uh, with about age in coffee and and this wax experiment. Um, are there any like technological innovations, any other like exciting things that you see uh, that could, you know, increase transparency, uh, make it easier for us to understand where our money's going in the supply chain? Yeah, I mean, you know, I think people have been talking about, you know, quote unquote, like blockchain technology and like, you know, uh, information for, for years, I'll be curious, like when, when I, I see that become more of a reality within, um, within coffee and, you know, for the most part, I'll, I'll say, you know, I'll, I'll say for the most part, I, at least in my experience, and maybe I have a much different experience than other people is I don't feel like there's very many suppliers that I've been to that like are just don't want to share <laughs> anything about their costing or like a black box. Like I feel like for the most part, you know, everyone, at least that I work with is like pretty upfront about, you know, costing and what it, what it takes to produce coffee. And so, you know, this idea that, you know, the technology that I think the trade works on and like roasters work on, um, you know, there's no big tech company right now investing in like hardcore apps that flow from, you know, Ethiopian, uh, you know, village cabelets to uh, roasters in the U.S. Um, you know, I think, you know, if you look at the applications and the way that information flows um, in, you know, other industries, uh, we will eventually, hopefully, catch up to like ten years ago, maybe twenty years ago, in terms of like how 
like how interconnected we are, like the paperwork that we see, you know, the ease of business from the like communication standpoint and just like the functionality of contracting coffee, um, that will vastly improve. Like that will continue to get better and better over, over time. Uh, it's inevitable that more and more money will go into that. Um, it will become easier to understand, you know, the facets of contracting, where your money's going, who's getting paid in, in what, uh, you know what capacity through through that um i i don't see that changing um like or that drive to that changing um because i've you know there's definitely been progress over the last decade you know two decades um but you know there you know there there definitely needs to be more investment it's just it will it will it will take it will take time to you know get out old systems and you know for the investment to, to go in that you know it's it's and it's the push from roasters that will make that happen. Like, you know, uh, if no one's asking for, you know, better contracts, better visibility, um, no, you know, no one's going to invest in it. And so, you know, the, these conversations in terms of, you know, pricing, trans, you know, transparency, how, you know, how that information flows from everyone, um, you know, I feel like they've died off a little bit, maybe the last like year, two years, um, a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, I think, you know, continuing to, to push on the, those elements of, uh, will, will, will certainly help, help progress that. Um, in terms of like, I don't know, other technologies, you talking like processing here, how, how, how uh, wide are we opening? Well, this, yeah, we, this we, can, we can take it as broad as you'd like. <laughs> I, I'm kind of thinking even just for you and your, the amount of time that you've been in the industry, like, I feel like most producers that we work with have a cell phone and are available on WhatsApp. And that has been like, a, I would imagine that's the crazy shift going from where there, there was like no, zero connection to yeah. the Instant. people, except for yeah. when you're physically there versus being able to stay in constant communication now. Does that make life easier for you? Um, you know, it's, there's always like two sides to that is like, you know, yeah. um, is like, yes, a hundred percent, you know, I talk to people and, Ethiopia and you know Kenya like every you know every other day you know sometimes multiple times a day um mm -hmm. it also means like oh like we're on a seven eight hour time you know time difference like do I stay up to one o'clock in the morning to try to catch yeah. <laughs> you know somebody in the morning over there to you know talk, talk about some some coffees or processing or you know whatever it is um so yeah there, there's two sides to that which is you know it is amazing to be able to communicate that lightning fast um i think there are times i probably need to think about like what you know that you know i think we, we all have the same thing probably in every facet of our life which is like what is too much <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah. you know like you know now now i can you know ping anyone 24 hours a day in every country that i need to communicate with um on on whatsapp is that is that always the best? Is that always the best thing? Um, so, uh, but yeah, I mean, that's the communication is totally, totally different. And you know, to a certain extent, it's like it's also leapfrogged in a lot of a lot of countries. You know, I remember like going to Papua New Guinea. This is probably like ten years ago, and you know, I always had the experience of everywhere I travel. You know, I'm the you know uh, gringo with the phone. You know, and the camera, and you know, all this stuff. And I just remember this experience of like every. 10 12 year old kid like had a phone riding on the back of the truck they were all taking pictures of me texting it to their friends and laughing you know just like, <laughs> <laughs> i'm like oh like you know they're 
you know, uh, you know, it's just amazing to see like this total leapfrog of technology going, you know, going from, you know, uh, nothing to cell phones to like interconnected to every person, you know, that they could possibly be connected to. Um, so it, you know, again, lots of, lots of amazing things with that. Some, some mm-hmm. drawbacks, but, um, I can tell you, you know, for a, a year and a half that we've, you know, just had where, not very many people have been traveling uh and you know that it's been you know lifeblood in terms of trying to keep up communication and you know the re- relationships that you build with producers and what you're trying to achieve like i don't i don't know if this was 10 12 years ago if uh you know um yeah, it would have been completely I think different some of the, mm-hmm. yeah it would have been completely different in the in the progress that i think roasters had working towards things you know it wouldn't be lost, but it would definitely be a lot more pulled back than I think it it was. I think we were able to function a lot, um, you know, a lot easier the last year and a half because of, you know, the technology that's come out. Yeah, that's it's technology. It's technology. technology. I, I can tell that you're probably not uh, spending all your time on social media uh, scrolling and yeah. Maybe, maybe I'm assuming too much. But. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's like it's the dark hole. You know, you can, yeah. I, you know, I love, I love to, you know, look at what baristas are doing and you know what cafes are doing. So I, I, man, I'll get sucked into that stuff and be like, oh, like, what happened between dinner and bedtime? Like, you know, yeah. um, just like anyone else. But, um, but no, you know, I try to. You gotta. It's that you know that that balances. It's impossible to keep, but you know, try you try every day. Got to shut it off a little. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm going to give you one final question here. What advice would you give to young coffee professionals that would like to work into a job sourcing green coffee? Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a good one. I mean, I think I, you know, when I, when I got into coffee, I, um, I don't know, maybe I'm different than, than other people that are in, you know, actually in, in sourcing coffee is I I guess I never had the dream of like being a coffee buyer. Like I didn't like start roasting coffee and be like, Oh, like I want that job. (laughs) (laughs) Um, you know, I definitely admired, like I admired the people, you know, like I, you know, grew up, you know, with Kim and, uh, Kim Ionescu and and Peter Giuliano at at counterculture where, you know, I very much admired the work that they were doing. I thought it was very cool, but I, you know, I also wasn't like, yearning or you know lusting after you know that that job um and you know i i think for people that are really passionate and do really want to just be you know into sourcing coffee um i think that's great i think you know definitely you know go for it and strive to do that i think you know everyone kind of saw sourcing coffee as the like pinnacle of coffee profession you know that i think you could be and you know the what I, what I hope for is over the last, you know, two, three, four, five years, last decade, you know, is that I think people hopefully are seeing a lot more opportunities, um, you know, in just the industry in general, in terms of jobs that are very highly qualified, very professional, you need to work really hard towards that could have huge impacts, um, you know, in the industry. Um, at origin countries, um, I think whether you're looking at agronomists, uh, whether you're looking at quality, you know, professionals working in in labs, um, I think all of these things, like, man, there's so much work to be done in every facet that 
you know, I hope that people see that there's more opportunities that the the top of the triangle isn't just coffee sourcing. Uh, you know, that the that that food pyramid that I think has always been, or at least you know, is like perceived in the industry that coffee buyers are like the shit and like the you know the go to awesome job. It's like yeah, I mean coffee sourcing is an awesome job uh, you know i you know i appreciate every day i get to do it um i really want to make sure i'm much more educated and like can continue to grow and like expand and learn um i think you know for me you know uh, i started going back to so again like i've taken like one class i've done a ton, ton of like literature review and research on on things i'm not i'm not quite there but you know when the when the madness uh, ceases and school feels <laughs> uh, able to to be something that i can do um you know i do think man that, that's where I, i'm going to strive to to go and i think people coming into coffee sourcing and want to do that um or you know other other parts of the the industry that i think five ten years from now your skill set's going to need to be a lot better and a lot you know more in depth than it was 10 20 years ago mm-hmm. um you know one, one thing i love about the coffee industry is it's a very apprenticeship job you know most jobs in coffee are very apprenticeship based and i I think that that has created a really unique industry in terms of people that creative come from different backgrounds and kind of like stumble into coffee and you know just are passionate about it continue in it and you know dive into it um i you know know that that the 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 there's so many great things to that but there's also limitations so you know i think that this you know the hopefully the next five ten years with people looking to source coffee and you know other parts of the industry like you will have this hopefully very good blend of the apprenticeship style uh that's you know being grown up in coffee mixed with you know people that are you know bringing really good expertise and science uh you know a lot of things that i feel like we've been lacking you know the last you know 10 20 years um so I yeah don't know. so we're yeah, you're looking at we're, we're looking at big problem or, or big yeah i guess big problems that need uh solutions from yeah we need specialized uh the, like okay i see what you're saying so you need to you need to add value by like educating yourself using here here we're on the privileged side of the supply chain so how do we it it, it's a it's a great place to be able to you know i guess what you're saying isn't it you you don't see it being just keep going to origin and choosing the coffees that you think taste the best and expecting to have a, a a real valued positive impact on the supply chain we we need a little bit more than that yeah, I mean, at the uh, man, that, that, it's such a good way to put it in terms of you know the like privilege of this side of the supply chain and like what sourcing and origin trips like in the future are. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, a lot of a lot of that stuff for me, like moving forward in terms of like thinking about when I travel, uh, when I go back to traveling, like I do want to go in, into it a lot more thoughtful about what I'm doing and where I'm spending my time. Um, and you know i think a lot of it is you know just i think you know it it's always a mix you know you're never going to be perfect one side or the other but this idea of like what yeah the value that you're bringing on that trip and like what you are as a coffee sourcing like what are you really trying to achieve 
if you're trying to taste a bunch of samples and uh, walk away with coffee, it's a really expensive plane ticket to, mm-hmm. to go taste coffee. Yeah. Yeah. DHL um, can get it to you way cheaper. DHL can get it to you way cheaper. And so, you know, like looking at what that experience is and like what you actually are providing in the supply chain, um, there's, you know, there's a lot, there's a lot that, that everyone can, can, can do to, to make that supply chain a lot stronger uh, to provide value. Um, and yeah, I think, you know, it goes back to what your skill sets are. How do you strengthen your skill sets? You know, how do you uh, continue to be better at what you do and um, yeah, create real value for the people you work with? Um, so anyway, as, as I, you know, as I go back to travel, I'm really thinking about this. Like my first, you know, my first trip to Ethiopia, it's like, man, I, I love seeing processing. I love seeing cherry go through, you know, the washing station, all that. But you know, I was really thinking about, it. I was like, you know, the past couple of years, you know, a couple of the suppliers I work with don't, I think fully understand like the lab protocols we have and like how we, like what we're ideally looking for in contracts and like certain at, you know, physical aspects of coffee and like, you know, how we move things faster. And so, you know, I'm really thinking about what my next trip to Ethiopia will be and, you know, when should I go? And it probably isn't like during harvest. It's probably not, you know, it's not going to be me taking beautiful pictures of you know cherry going through the washing station as much as much as the, man that sounds great like oh, yeah. <laughs> I do that as, for as the many photos as i get of them i still like to, to see new ones every year yeah mm-hmm. um, cherries are great but you know i think at the end of the day like probably most of my time will be in adisa baba like going from lab to lab just tasting with a lot of people and not really necessarily purchasing I'm not looking for coffees to purchase, but more just kind of working on like shared protocols, shared, you know, shared things that we can do. Like how do we calibrate our moisture meters better? How do we look at different physical aspects? How do we work with different dry mills on getting like a better idea of what a milling specification is? Like those, you know, those are things that I hold as like the buyer, like to, to a certain extent, it's like a, it's also like a power move. It's like, Hey, this is, these are like my specs and the things I'm looking for. Like you try to achieve them, but it's like, I'm not going to give you all the, you know, all the tools to do that. Right. Mm-hmm. It's like, no, like as much as they have is all the tools that I have and they can, you know, hit, hit everything, you know, out of the park. It's like, man, that makes one that creates a much more efficient supply chain. It creates a lot more value to them because man, they're, they're gaining expertise that they, you know, didn't have before, at least understanding of what, what we're looking for. And, you know, we can't be that different than every other buyer in the world. Mm -hmm. So anyway, those are the things that, you know, I think as you're talking to, you know, young, younger people coming up, up in coffee that, you know, um, Co- you know, coffee sourcing is awesome. Like, you know, it's, I, I think it's a great job to, uh, to be in. It's a great job to strive for. Uh, I think there's a m- million other jobs in coffee that I think are as exciting. You know, if, if you know, if I could all do it, do it back again, it's like, man, I'd probably be like a potato defect researcher at, you know, mm-hmm. NC state, you know, <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Nice. um, you know, so there, you know, there's so many exciting things in coffee to be a part of. Um, if you're going to do coffee sourcing, yeah, I think everyone's going to have to start bringing a lot more A game because I, I think there's a lot of people coming up in the in this industry that will have really strong skill sets that uh, can help a lot. Absolutely, super challenging. All right, well, that's uh, we've been at it for about an hour now, so I think we better wrap it up. But uh, we'll do it. What's a what's a good way if people want to get in touch with you? If people have any questions, uh, do you have a a way that you would like to be contacted? 
Oh man, that's a good one. Uh, <laughs> Instagram. I, yeah, sure. I mean, I'm I'm on Instagram. I think my yeah. last post was Halloween. Um, <laughs> yeah, mine too. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, I'm on Instagram. You know, uh, if you look me up on Atlantic Specialty, my, my I think my I think my email's up there somewhere. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, you know, I'm always you know as as much as uh, I think the last year has stressed everyone's uh, maximum brain capacity to. <laughs> <laughs> the fullest um yes. you know I, you know i love it yeah answering as many questions as i can you know um so great well thank you again for letting us pick your brain and uh i'm sure we'll be in touch with you soon about uh some stuff back on the business back back to business yeah i have a couple qu- well yeah we'll we'll i'll email you or we'll email you How about that yeah. man thank you so much again thank you oh. Oh, no problem. You guys have a, have a, have a great weekend. Uh, yeah. Th- thanks for having me. You know, I, I do really appreciate, um, you know, I, I think the whole idea of source code and like what, what you guys are working on, you know, it's a different, it's a different take on, you know, I think where mm-hmm. that information can be conveyed. I hope, you know, uh, as much as, as possible. Yeah. People get a better understanding of what, what you're, you're all trying to achieve in coffee and, you know, can push us all to be better. Awesome. Totally. Cool. Well, thank you. We'll talk to you soon. Cheers. See you guys. Have a great weekend. Bye. Yeah, you too.